In the past weeks, allegations have arisen regarding several wrestlers on the TakeOver Cardiff card as a part of the Speaking Out movement. We as a group would like to say that we stand with all of the victims of sexual assault that have had the courage to come out against these wrestlers. As we discuss the card today, these performers will be mentioned only in the context of their matches and careers. We condemn their actions outside of the ring and will only acknowledge them as actors within the live drama that is professional wrestling. With that being said, let's hit the music. What we do here is go back, 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 back. And welcome into episode Ocho of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. I'm David Statman, joined as always by my good friends Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long. And this week, the randomizer was kind to us. For the first time, we actually got not only an NXT event, but an event that we all remember watching when it happened and all like loved and thought it was awesome. NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff. I, we were all really excited. Boys, how are you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Just got off a long shift of furloughed work. But I'm very excited. I had my cup of coffee. This card, only six matches. But man, what a six matches they are. Yeah, I I knew as soon as you said TakeOver Cardiff, I mean, I knew the main event. It was it was like the match. I A match that I think is in match greatest match ever contention i know it's probably not the greatest match but it it deserves to be talked about there with the story and the and, and everything involved in it the third yeah, wwe uh match that had over five stars and they mm. were all nxt matches and the other two were cole gargano and gargano champa no nope, gargano cole both of them were gargano cole. both of them were gargano coles yep for the record, I liked the Gargano Champa matches better, but that's just me. I, I think that's Adam is Cole is so too. good. <laughs> I love Adam Cole, but yeah, I mean, like this is a match, the Tyler Bate Walter match. Obviously, we're going to get into that when we when we get to that point in the car. But it definitely is a match that I clearly remember watching it when it happened, and then afterwards closing out of my uh, WWE Network tab, and then just saying to myself, "That's one of the greatest matches I've ever seen in my entire life." <laughs> So I'm very excited to, uh, to to relive that one. But we've got five other matches on the card to talk about. So if you guys are ready, let's uh, remember some guys. Let's go. And let's do it. We don't have to think back too far to remember these guys because every single one of these people is still wrestling. Most of them are still contracted to WWE. And we start off with... A one of the most one of my guys, one of the most important Jews in wrestling currently today, Noam Dar, the Scottish Supernova, taking <laughs> on Travis Banks in the first match of the card. And so this happened August tenth, two thousand nineteen, in Cardiff, Wales, at the Cardiff Motor Point Arena. Thirty six hundred people in attendance, and obviously this is again it happened ten months ago. Obviously the most recent event that we have rewatched and covered since we started doing this podcast a couple months ago. So right away, you see the difference in just kind of the atmosphere. You see the difference in just the way the matches are worked. And I think a really good example is this opening match. Noam Dar and Travis Banks, two good workers who have a pretty solid match and watching it through 
our eyes right now, it's nothing incredibly special. But when you compare it to like the opening matches that we've seen in some of these other cards, it's like a five-star barn burner. Hold on. So you're telling me that you didn't like Mankind versus uh, Gil. What was his first name? Dwayne, Dwayne Gil. Gilbert. I was going to cite you didn't like Michael P.S. Hayes versus Russian Assassin. Number I was, one. I was going to mention Michael P.S. Hayes because <laughs> we, I mean, I the, the, the match that went to my mind was when we watched Chi-Town Rumble. And yeah, the first match was Michael P.S. Hayes where they take 15 full minutes to get to the point in the match where a guy can hit a vertical suplex. <laughs> and this is, compared to that, it's like watching a Jackie Chan movie. Um, a pretty good match um good grappling uh banks good worker really good kicks not a ton of heat for this one but travis banks was never really got that over even for a good worker in in nxt uk he just kind of never really got over um some good spots in this match uh noam dar catches uh travis banks's finisher the slice of heaven which is a kind of just like a springboard enziguri caught it into a knee bar at one point, uh, hit it off the barricade at one point, and then did a diving double stomp off the top rope, which was really cool. Um, and the finish of the match, about 15 minutes in, Banks goes to hit the slice of heaven again. Dar kicks his legs out from under him as he goes to springboard off the ropes. And then he turns around and hits his finisher, the Nova Rolla, which is basically like a kind of a running, uh, like kind of like a shining wizard, like a running uh, kick. And he wins, Noam Dar wins in 14 minutes so the thing that i noticed you talked about like not having a lot of heat um as i was going back and and doing my research into like the storylines and stuff this match didn't have much of a build it was like a it was like a two week long thing where where they were feuding uh and i think that nxt uk probably put this first because they thought well we'll put two guys who can work out there first and kind of wake the crowd up but there just wasn't much of a build for it you know, um, Noam Dar is a guy that probably would have served pretty well on 205 Live. Did, did he not have a couple matches there? He did. He was on 205 yeah. Live originally, and then he moved over to UK when they started and, that up. And I noticed like it had like a 205 Live kind of feel to it because... There was no heat. There was no heat. And <laughs> and that's, that's something I said. It felt like a Raw match between 205 Live guys, except the crowd cared about it a little bit more than 205 Live. As, um, I mean, only because the crowds were hot for everything. Yeah, as far as heat goes, I mean, I think the crowd was into most of these matches, and I love the UK chants or like soccer style chants that yes. they have throughout the ma- like the entire card. I think it's Ooh, a, a really that unique, unique feeling, and you definitely start to hear that difference from UK to US. Um, uh, Dar's eleven has some Ty Dillinger feels to it, but I feel like it's a little bit. Cooler. I've never, un- I've never understood the eleven. It's like he's I've a soccer been... player. Like that's his number. I don't. I, I've never. I've actually like tried to look it up before. I feel like, and I've never understood why he has like eleven on his tights and stuff. Like, <laughs> I just don't. I can't. I can't have. I can't tell at all. Well, I mean, it's Angelo not- sometimes wears Jets jerseys. And that's how I feel about him when he does that. <laughs> um, as far as like the guys in this ring, I think Supernova, Nova, Noam Dar's ring gear looked really cool. Uh, Kiwi Buzzsaw and Travis Banks' ring attire look really cool. But the match itself, um, it isn't bad necessarily, but 
it wasn't one of my favorites that we've had so far. Both guys come off looking really small. I, that's not something I normally notice in a match, but it's kind of obvious with these two guys. Um, I like how they kind of played up the quickness of both the competitors. You kind of see a lot of their athleticism and just natural born, born agility. Uh, the way they run the ropes, though, and this is something that I noticed throughout the entire card, the way that everyone on the card run, ran the ropes looked very different than what we see over here in the U.S. It looks like they don't go off the ropes with as much force as maybe people do on Raw or SmackDown. It just is, I don't know, that was just something I also how many, how many, like, British strong-style type matches have you seen? This is between this and Blackpool. I think these were the those were the only two real strong style matches okay. I've seen. Depending on what you want to call any Pete Dunn match. I mean, it's well, but Pete, Pete Dunn, Dunn doesn't has, run the ropes. Dunn doesn't Pete run. Dunn the ropes has kind of like Americanized the British strong style. If that makes sense. Yes, he's taken it and made it like like more of his own NXT style. But they, the British British wrestlers, have like a way of doing a lot of things that is different. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. from. From how like American wrestlers gener- or Canadian for that do things, yeah, yeah. And I think that's I mean the the basis of kind of like the 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 basis of everything in, in British wrestling is very like historically kind of catch oriented. Like the roots yeah. of of like British wrestling go back to like World of Sport in like the seventies, and all of these guys mostly like a lot of the guys who are the big trainers around there, like Robbie Brookside or like Fit Finley were guys who worked that style coming up or mm-hmm. taught people who worked that style and they're they're teaching they're teaching it on to people. Mm-hmm. So like it has that that British world of sports style is very like very shoot style and very catch mm-hmm. wrestling oriented mm-hmm. and just like just grappling style. I, I will say the one thing I didn't really enjoy besides the fact that re- the running the ropes was weird. It did feel a lot more spontaneous and less planned out than typical WWE events nowadays. And I thought that kind of, it makes it more enjoyable because it doesn't feel structured. It's got a little bit of that chaos element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Dar hits uh grapples with banks from the ground and hits a few kicks and turns into a submission which i thought looked really cool and then i really did like the nova roller as a finishing move just a step up uh shining wizard just looks very impactful you hear the sound it, it just sounds like it's crushing his skull i think that was really it's a great good. name too it is nova a great roller. name i mean i think sounds dar- like you're blowing him up <laughs> exactly i think dar is definitely someone that they um probably a star in the making definitely for nxt uk good guy to have on the roster yeah, he's still pretty young. I mean, I think he's in like his might be like 24, 25, something like oh, that. Wow. Yeah, he's still pretty young. I think mean, a lot of these guys like they start really really young in the UK. So like, like Pete Dunn started training when he was like 12. And he was like by the time he got on NXT, he was like 23, but he had been wrestling for 10 years. Hey, that makes me think this is a little off topic, but I mean, it's it's kind of always worth mentioning. Um have you guys ever seen Fighting with My Family, the movie about Paige? I have, not. I have not. I have not seen that. I I really recommend it. I I watched it a couple weeks ago, and it was really really good. But it kind of shows. You, it's obviously a fictionalized account of of Paige's training and and entrance to the business. But I think it's a pretty cool look at it, and you see how trainers work and and what it takes for them to get in. Um, and she she started out in um, I think she was wrestling in London to begin with, but I can't say that for sure. Yeah. Well, her family are all like really kind of like her, her parents are like famous, like wrestlers and like very well-known like promoters in, in the UK. So she started exactly. like really young. 
Yeah, exactly. So like, and you see that like they're all training, like they're training kids and stuff in the uh, in the movie. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's how it is a lot of places there. But so I mean, start off with Banks and Dar to kind of wrap that up. Like I thought, decent match. It's it's not one of the best ones on the card tonight, but it's it's a perfectly reasonable match, and it's just sort of an opener. But compared to a lot of the other openers that we've seen, if you go back, like some of the older one older cards that we've watched. It's like insane, right? Just kind of, you know, it's it's talking about like the sort of evolution of how the the style people work over the over the course of time. Moving on, talked about past match Banks and Dar not having a lot of heat. Oof. We get Cesaro and Ilya Dragunov. Cesaro oh is backstage. He's cutting a promo. He's so cool. He's got a nice tracksuit on. He's looking like a million <laughs> bucks. The Swiss Superman. He's issued an open challenge. He says, I'm just here for a fight. And who shows up but Ilya Dragunov, one of my favorite wrestlers on the planet. And they just go out and they have a fight and it's awesome. There's probably nobody in wrestling who has just more chaotic, manic, just violent energy than Ilya Dragunov. Just <laughs> uh, emanates from every every part of his body at all times. Um, Cesaro gets a huge pop. I mean, Ilya walks out to the ring and gets the mic and he says, Cesaro, I'm waiting. And just for him saying the name Cesaro, the fans go crazy. Cesaro comes out, they go nuts and the bell rings and it's just a fight immediately. Ilya sprints into a big boot right off the bell. Like he's Katsuyori Shibata. It's awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> Cesaro is just throwing him around. He's, he's got just, he's just like pound for pound, the strongest guy maybe in wrestling. It's insane how strong he is. All right, Michael. Um, and really just the kind of one of the climaxes of this match. Cesaro hits, puts on the giant swing, which everybody loves. Hmm. He holds the giant swing for a full 40 seconds. He's just spinning him around and around. The crowd is loving it. They're going crazy. And then Cesaro just tosses him away. And it's my favorite part of this match. He tosses him away. He's literally been spinning around in a circle for 40 seconds. And he just completely no-sells it. Like, not dizzy at all. Just goes right back into his match. Cesaro is the coolest man who ever lived. <laughs> awesome. Um, Ilya fires back. He hits about 600 kabashi neck chops in a row. Um, hits a almost a full coast-to-coast drop kick, which was awesome. Um, hits a Death Valley driver in the corner. Huge top rope sent on. And as we build the finish, Ilya looks like he's coming in to try and win it. But then we get the big pop-up European uppercut, gotch neutralizer, and Cesaro wins in 12 and a half minutes. Okay, Angelo, I'm going to let you go first, only because I have a note here about you, and I'm going to see if it happens. So, Angelo, <laughs> go right ahead, and I'm going to listen intently. What, uh, it's a note that you knew I was going to wax poetically about Ilya Dragunov, because... I will wax poetically till the cows come home because I love him. Just, just keep going, and I'll. And if it happens, I'll call you out. I'll, I'm going to start off here. I, so this this morning, actually, uh, while at work, I had some downtime. I'm like in the back of my head, I'm thinking about that Ilya Dragunov match. I'm like, you know what? I could see him being a guy that could take the belt off Walter. And I went to go look at NXT UK website to see what their most recent matches were and like what their build was before they, you know, got taken off for COVID nineteen. And I just happened to read that Ilya Dragunov won a twenty man battle royal to become the number one contender 
for the WWE UK <laughs> Championship, which, you know what? Sometimes I got that intuition. I'm not always wrong all the time. Uh, but other yeah, than that, yeah. he's got it. And it's a shame that he has Seth Rollins' voice because his voice does not match his character <laughs> at all. But I don't think it matters because he's just he's going to get pushed to the moon and deserves it. Um, speaking of guy pushed the moon, Cesaro. I mean, is there a guy that he can't have a absolute barn burner with? Cesaro is one of the best wrestlers on the planet. Yes, and it's like it's a shame because he doesn't get that kind of he doesn't get to be mentioned in the same breath as an AJ Styles or a Daniel Bryan because those guys, I mean, just they get more opportunities to do it. They have more of a rep. They get to go out on pay-per-views or on a random SmackDown and have like a 30-minute classic, whereas Cesaro could do that with anybody, but he just hasn't really gotten the chances in WWE to prove that all the time. They Whenever he gets a chance somebody. to have a good match, he looks amazing and he's awesome. <laughs> they always want to stick him with somebody, and it's not a bad thing necessarily if he's getting pushes. Like right now with Shinsuke, hopefully that develops into something interesting because they just abuse him in terms of booking like he's either the guy that gets thrown out to push someone else uh or he's not even on tv and that's just a shame um that swing man i could watch that swing all day long i mean it's just so flippin impressive uh the military press gts which is, is the only way i can describe it Oh my gosh, he just gets Dragunov so high in the air and then just absolutely crushes him with that knee. Um, I like the fake pin in the submission too, because a lot of times when you see the fake pin, you just see the heel kind of like get a little smirk and brings him up and drags him for punishment. The way Cesaro goes from quickly from a pin into a cross face, you don't see it a lot. You have the coast to coast, the lifting Euro into the goth neutralizer, I mean... I love this match. Cesaro's an excellent worker. Dragunov has it and is going to get pushed to the moon one day. And I could watch a thousand more of these matches and just keep... If I can only watch this one match, I'm fine with that. Ilya Dragunov versus Cesaro the rest of my life. Angelo, you didn't say it. You came so close when you were talking about Dragunov in the beginning. You came so close. But my note says, make fun of Angelo if he mentions oozing charisma. And you never said it, but you were really, really close to saying it. Well, he's got it. You can say. You can I know. Say, I wanted you to say he's just got it. He just oozes charisma. Oh, and he didn't say it. One so. last thing. He also, well, he's five ten, so he's like two inches taller than me. He doesn't come <laughs> off as small. And I thought that was, you know, that's something you have to look at when you have guys that are under six feet. Is how do they kind of come off watching them? Like Noah Amdar, uh, Travis Banks, both of them to me looked really small. Dragging off in this match, yeah, he's five ten. He's giving up seven inches to Cesaro, but he looks like he belongs there. It doesn't look like he's too undersized. Yeah, I, I love this match too. One of the few times Angelo and I have agreed about things that we like. Um, but I wanted to. I, I've noticed that we're kind of establishing our roles here. Like David is like our wrestling historian. I'm the kayfabe uh, current story guy, and Angelo is our tech, our technician, our our moves expert. Um, but I, that's why I'm going to ask David this. Has anybody ever adopted like the running uppercut that Cesaro did as a finish? Because that move... Not that I really know of, because it's I, awesome. I, oh, the I diving like one? I've seen it before. Yeah. So he hits the... Uh, you called it the military press uh, GTS, mm -hmm. which was beautiful. I think he pins him, he kicks out, and he hops up immediately into like the... Um, I always think of a she, uh, Tomohiro Ishii doing the, the sliding lariat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this was like a running uppercut from the same position. Yeah. And I just think that would be a phenomenal finisher. 
Um, but I don't know if anybody had done it. Not that I really know of, honestly. Not that sticks out to me. I mean, nobody does the European uppercut better than Cesaro. And oh there's a reason God. why. There's a reason why in every single match that he has, he does like seven European uppercuts because, because he's better. Great. He's better than anybody in the world at doing that one move, and they always look awesome. <laughs> That's uh, I I love it. And you know what? I'm I'm gonna say this. I, the Cesaro swing is cool, I guess, but I don't love it as much as everybody else. That's just me. I don't know why, but the fans I do want to. I know, I know. Also, those fans lied. He did not spin him 40 times. And I know well, David was, said 40 I seconds. I said 40 seconds because it definitely they were counting 40 seconds. He didn't spin him 40 times. Oh, they were counting times. They were not I mean, I think, I think the intention <laughs> is to count times, but in this instance, practically, they were counting seconds. So I said he spun him for 40 seconds because he well, spun him for 40 seconds. They they hit him with the Earl Hebner quick count because that wasn't forty seconds either. But um, I I do want to experience the swing just to see what it feels like. So David, I need you to learn how to do it and then let me know. And uh, you're gonna you're gonna and put, I'll put you in it, please. I'm okay, I got you. you. Put me into the Cesaro swing. I got you. I, it doesn't seem hard. I think you just got. I, I think you kind of need to have the core strength to kind of hold yourself up, though. Yeah, and you have. So. And you, I mean, I'm not. I am not a small boy, so you are not. <laughs> you <gotta> go <laughs> Might have to get Cesaro in on that one. No, but I, I just, I love. Oh my gosh, I Cesaro. love Ilya Dragunov too, though. I mean, the guy is just like this insane, like Soviet, just assassin murderer, and he's just he's believable because, like, when you he's so believable because, like, when you watch him in the ring. And all of his mannerisms and every single thing that he does, it's like he is throwing every single ounce of all his energy into every single thing that he does. And he just has so much just insane manic energy all the time. It is so much fun to watch him wrestle. And the it's red so much fun too. to watch him do anything. The red eyes, too, help sell this. Like, his entrance is just Ooh, like yeah. this Russian classical. It's similar to Walter's kind of style in terms of, like, the intro music. But he's got just those red eyes. And... He's like a freaking anime character. Yeah. Like you were talking about how he's like throwing everything he has at you all the time. And you're, you're absolutely right. It's kind of like uh, we talk about how The Rock and Austin have like their mannerisms in the ring. And Dragunov certainly has his. And you're right, Jake. He is oozing charisma. Yeah. Up, he used to, he used to walk. This is one of my favorite things. Before he was in WWE, he used to walk out to the ring to the uh the like soviet march theme from command and conquer red alert <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it was no so way. cool yeah it was awesome <laughs> love Ilya dragunov this was a great match i think we can all agree Absolutely. next up there were three matches on this card when i when i looked at this card there were three matches on this card that i specifically remembered as being awesome one of them was cesaro and Ilya dragunov one of them was tyler bait and walter in the main event we're going to talk about that probably for a long time because it's amazing this is the other one. Three-way tag team match for the NXT UK Tag Team Championship. The champions, the grizzled young vets, Zach Gibson and James Drake, defending against the team of Gallus, two big Scottish boys, Mark Coffey and Wolfgang, and the two native, small, flippy Welsh boys, Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster. Again, two guys from South Wales. The crowd was super into them. And basically, this entire match was 20 minutes of 
Mark Andrews does flips. That's the entire match. I mean, I literally just... David texted us that in the group chat earlier today. Yes. I, I have dubbed this match, Mark Andrews does flippy shit the match. <laughs> I literally had like... I, 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 I started watching this match, and I just... About two minutes in, I was like, I'm just going to make like a like a numbered list of every single cool thing that Mark Andrews does. And it's like easy double digit plus. Like I think I have 15 <laughs> things on there. Like here's a cool high spot from Mark Andrews. Um, and Flash Morgan Webster, they, he gets in on it too. Really good athlete. I remember this being the match where I realized, because I knew Mark Andrews was really good because I've been watching him for a long time. He's been around for a while. I remember this being the match that I realized that Flash Morgan Webster is also really, really good. They do a bunch of big high spots in this match. God, uh, I have a whole long list here. I don't want to do every single one of them because we might be here for a long time. <laughs> couple but of spot monkeys out there. couple spot monkeys. Um, Andrews hits a moonsault on the apron, off the apron at the exact same time as Webster jumps off the apron and does a Hurricane Rana onto the Gallus boys. And then Andrews immediately sprints back into the ring and then hits a second rope moonsault onto Zach Gibson. This is like three minutes into the match. They're already <laughs> spinning around doing flips. It's amazing. Uh, Andrews does a power slide into like a double flip kick on both of the guys from Gallus. And then he flip dives onto them on the outside. And then him and Webster then both do flip dives at the same time onto the Grizzled Young Veterans at one point. Um Andrews hits an assisted 450 onto James Drake, where Flash Morgan Webster just kind of grabs Andrews' ankle and then just sort of flips him over, which looked amazing. Um, does a shooting star press on everybody onto the outside. Uh, he hits the stun dog millionaire on Gibson a couple times. Huge pop at one point when uh, Grizzled Young Veterans, they hit their finisher, and then James Drake hits a 450 on Andrews, and then he kicks out. Crowd is super into the two Welsh guys, especially Andrews. It's really Andrews and Webster carrying the match to the point that I'm pretty sure throughout the entire match, that team was one of the legal teams the whole time. We never really got the other two teams facing off. It was basically always the, the Welsh guys doing stuff the whole match. Which was a good thing. Smart Which thing. was a good thing. It's what the fans wanted. They were there <laughs> rooting for the they were there rooting for Andrews and Webster and they wanted to see them do cool stuff. And by God, they got it. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Flash Morgan Webster gets monkey flipped into a Canadian destroyer on uh, Mark Coffee, which is one of my favorite moves <laughs> of the entire match. Um Gallus and, and Grizzle Young Vets get one or two cool moves. Grizzle Young Vets hit a doomsday device to the outside. Oh the god. That was, was so really cool. good. Um, there was one where Wolfgang just picked up Mark Coffey, who was not a small man at all, and just threw him out over the top rope onto everybody, which was really cool. Um, Andrews, finally, towards the end of this match, he hits a double stun dog millionaire on both of the Grizzled Young Veterans. Flash then gets up to the top rope, hits a 630 on Drake, mm. but then Gibson pulls the referee out of the ring. They hit their finisher, the Ticket to Mayhem, onto Flash Morgan Webster, but then Andrews breaks up the pin by hitting a shooting star press and then kind of grabs him and turns over the cover. So Webster is covering Drake and they get the pin. And in about 20 minutes, the two guys from Wales, the hometown boys, Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster are the new mm -hmm. NXT UK tag team champions. Crowd was crazy for it. And then afterwards they run into the crowd. They celebrate with the fans. 
And man, remember when people could just do stuff like that? Like they could just jump into a crowd <laughs> of people and just celebrate and not have to worry about dying. Awesome. <laughs> oh man. I'm sad. Uh, yeah, this match and David, you alluded to this as well. The three matches I remember just my jaw was on the floor the entire time watching it the first time was Cesaro Dragunov, this triple threat tag team match, and then uh, Walter Tyler Bate. The video package they put together for this, just kind of outlining how all the teams got to Cardiff, I thought was really phenomenal. Tells a good story, kind of gives you the idea, all the background information you need. Mark Andrews, his band Junior, Brick by Brick, and his theme music are all absolute slappers, and he's the lead vocalist wait, wait, wait. Absolute what? Slappers. Slappers? Damn, what a bop. Yes. <laughs> Absolute bop. Uh, Flash Morgan Webster, and I was excited because I finally came up with a great joke. Flash Morgan Webster is so limey, he belongs in a Corona. Thank you for coming to my stand-up. All right. Angelo, moving, can you, moving uh, on. <laughs> can you find a, uh, a cricket sound to put in? Because uh, I don't think David and I silence did enough. I absolutely can. Uh, but let's get serious for a second then. Um, combined weight for uh, the uh, Southern Wales subculture, 324, which means they're an average weight of 162, meaning I outweigh them by 50 pounds, which is just weird to see in wrestling. You don't usually see that a lot. Um, but both these guys show that they belong throughout this match. I mean, they put on an absolute show. Morgan Webster hitting the Hurricane Rana by when he just kind of like – he rotates off the ring post and then lands on Mark Coffey to do the Hurricane Rana. That's just ridiculous. Andrew's athleticism, David, you said he does a lot of flippy shit. Not even a minute of the match, you see him going from the ground versus Gibson to just his knees are now on Gibson's shoulders in like two seconds. It's ridiculous how athletic Andrew's is. Uh, Morgan Webster is no slouch either. The ox face chance for James Drake was kind of humorous. You just hear those ox face chants. Well, one of my, I mean, you, you, I, I meant to mention this. One of my favorite, I, I love the UK fan chants. They're great. My favorite one ever is uh, if you hate Gibson, shoes off, and then people take their shoes off and just wave them at Zach Because <laughs> I, 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 I actually watch NXT UK regularly, and I think that Gibson's fantastic. He's a really he good worker, but he is such a great heel. Like, people hate him. People, he gets a lot of heat. Because everything about him, it's not like he's like a big cartoon villain or anything, but he's like, he gets a lot of heel heat because everything he does and the way he like talks is just kind of slightly irritating. And it just like over time really pisses you off. Like he has a way of speaking that like it's a little bit too slow and he like elongates his S's and it just really just irritates you. And then you're like, all right, I want this guy to die. And it's, he's fantastic. He's such a great heel. So building off of that, I remember because I remember watching Blackpool as well and watching him, uh, Grizzled Young Vets versus Mustache Mountain for the inaugural uh, NXT UK Tag Team Championships. I remember watching the video package and then seeing how he was acting in the ring and ignoring all semblance of my sanity and just being like, I hate this guy already. I do not like <laughs> him, but he's such a good worker in the ring. It's like, he's you want to hate him, but he's great. Uh, the stun dog millionaire, first of all, great pun. Second of all, it's a move that comes out of nowhere too. And you don't really expect it to, because with the stunner, I feel like that's a hard move to kind of pull off out of nowhere. And you see him routinely hit that move 
literally, I know where, like, he could be taking a lot of offense right before it, and then all of a sudden, bam, stung dog millionaire, and he's back in a, on the advantage. Uh, Wolfgang corner crossbody into a slingshot spear was really awesome to watch because you don't see a lot of big men that have that athleticism. Uh, and when I say slingshot spear, it's similar to uh, Adam Page's Buckshot Larry. It's just a move you don't see a lot, and I thought it was really cool. David, you mentioned as well the slingshot Canadian destroyer, just an absolute spot. Flashmore Webster coming up out of that and like looking in disbelief was also helped sell it. Just man, it was such a great freaking match, and they only held the tag titles for thirty four days, and that's the most upsetting thing about this. They definitely got like the like the hometown win. Oh that's yeah, why, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, this. Whenever we were talking about watching this card, I I actually had forgotten about this match. And then once I started watching it, I remembered how awesome it was. And I think you guys have already hit on this point to talk about how good Zach Gibson is. Because he had two of my personal favorite spots in the match. The doomsday device type move on the outside where Gibson jumps either through or over the ropes and clotheslines... Wolfgang. Wolfgang. Is that who was he on top? Yep. Oh, I couldn't remember who was on top of him. And I mean that move was just absolutely devastating. And it had I can't imagine a world where that felt good for any of the guys involved. Um and then the spot where Gibson pulls the ref out and then <laughs> like pleads to the ref for some reason. Like I, I just thought it was absolutely hilarious because it looked like he was trying to say, like, please help me or something like that. And it's like you're you dastardly heel, how could you? I, th- I thought those were, were two of my favorite uh, moments. And then you have Mark Andrews hitting. I love shooting star presses or sentons or anything like that to the outside. It looks so incredibly dangerous because it is, but you always have a ton of guys to catch you in spots like this. But here's here's my question to you guys. Who has the best shooting star press of all time? That's a good... I would al- I, I always say maybe Osprey, Will Osprey. Okay. Because he or, or or ricochet, one of the two. Because they do they do such crazier moves all the time that when they just do something like a shooting star press or like a moonsault or something that's more of like I don't want to say simple because a shooting star press is insane and it looks insane, <laughs> but like something that's not like oh I'm gonna do like three flips while I'm also spinning in the air at the same time. They're able to make it just look like get so much air and just make it look so elegant. I think, I, would you put Evan Bourne in that conversation at all? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, Evan Bourne or like Matt Sidal. I, I think his looks. I think he, he's absolutely in contention. I was actually going to mention Evan Bourne because he was the yeah. first guy I saw do the move. Um, so that always sticks in my head. It is hard though to top Mark Andrews' uh, shooting star press here. I mean, it is picture perfect. Mm. It is just my. It's hard to top. My personal favorite is still Billy Kidman because he looked like he was going to die every time. <laughs> but Brock Lesnar because he actually died. That was the whole like appeal of the Billy Kidman shooting star press because like he was the first guy to really do it a lot like that you would like see if you were like on TV in America and it was like oh my god this move's crazy like he's going to kill himself and every time Billy Kidman did it he looked like he was going to kill himself <laughs> because every time he almost killed himself. Oh you know you know who else has a move like that? Uh, Lita's moonsault. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Every time Lita does the moonsault, like I cringe because I think she's about to break her neck. Yeah. And every time she lands it, uh, Jeff Hardy with the swanton, I always think he's going to hit the mat square on the top of his head, he and he never does. So late. Oh, it's so late, isn't it? Um, yeah. But yeah, I just 
I, I saw that and I was like, man, that was a really good shooting star press. I wonder who the guys think has the best one ever. Andrews um, has got a great shooting star press. Yeah, That's absolutely. Great. This match could have been match of the night on 90% of cards in, in WWE. 100%. And the only reason it's not here is because you have a 45-minute match between just two phenomenal guys later on. Um and I think that that was a that's like an NXT trend with tag teams, and I, it's really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely, great match. Like I said, this is one that specifically stuck out to me as one that I remember being awesome when I watched absolutely. it the first time, and it held up. I mean, again, it is you know all the other guys in this match look good; they all get their spots in. I thought Webster was really really good, but this match for me, it is the Mark Andrews show. It is just twenty minutes of Mark Andrews doing cool flips. And it delivers. It's awesome. It's a great match. <laughs> we saw Mark Coffey and Wolfgang from Gallus. The third man in that stable is next up in a last man standing match. Mark Coffey's brother, Joe Coffey, taking on the big boy, Dave Mastin. One of my favorite guys in NXT UK. He looks like a compressed JPEG file of Ivar from the Viking Raid. He is just like shaped exactly like a cannonball. He's just a big, thick, huge boy. And I love him. Dave Mastiff coming in. He's listed at over 300 pounds. And he and, and Joe Coffey, they fight right from the beginning. Um, and, you know, it's a last man standing match. That's what you come to expect. They fight on the ramp to start, and then, you know, they have the task of trying to follow up this great match with Mark Andrews and these guys doing all these huge high spots and doing all these huge flips. So they do a bunch of, they, they need to follow that up. So they do a bunch of stuff. We got a bunch of weapons. Like immediately in this match, we get Mastiff giving Coffee a hard Irish whip into the turnbuckle, and then the turnbuckle breaks and explodes, and the top rope falls off, and the crowd goes crazy for it because anytime something like that happens, the crowd always reacts. And then that allows Mastiff to just use that broken turnbuckle as a weapon for a while, which you don't usually see. Coffee gets a pull cue out of somewhere. I don't know where it came from. He breaks it over Mastiff's back. He goes under the ring, and then he just pulls out a giant sack with the Gallus logo on it that is filled up to the brim with all sorts of different weapons. You see a cricket bat being used, a bunch of other random stuff. They both go through tables. They go into the crowd. They're hitting each other with chairs. Coffee gives him a discus lariat with a chain around his hand. They both get chairs at one point and then just sprint at each other and slam each other with chairs like they're, like they're chair jousting, which is freaking awesome. Um, they end up fighting over towards the announce area. Mastiff kind of hip tosses him over the barricade, like awkwardly into the side of the announce table, and then does a Samoan drop onto the announce table, but the announce table doesn't break, which couldn't have been comfortable for anybody. They then climb up to the sort of pre-show stage area above the announce desk. They headbutt each other. They both fall down off the stage into probably like it's like a one of those kind of crash pads that they do where they put like sort of a board over top of it so it doesn't look like they're falling onto a cushion or whatever they both get up but at the last second coffee kicks away a crate that mastiff was using to balance himself up so he can't get up at the time at the count of 10 he falls down and the winner of the last man standing match joe coffee match lasted about 16 minutes a lot of cool stunts so I just, I don't know. I don't like last man standing matches. 
the thing to me that that I love to see in matches, and I've mentioned this before, I want to see a match that I that has high drama that I can't tell if they're who's going to win, and I want a bunch of near falls and stuff. And the ten count has never done it for me. Uh, I, like just thinking off the top of my head, I think about the recent Randy Orton Edge uh, Last Man Standing match um, at Mania. Yeah, and I just I didn't enjoy it. I think about AJ Nakamura. During their feud in what that was that 2018, I guess 17 um, or 18. I can't, I maybe 18. Yeah, I think it was 18 because I started watching again in 17, so it would have been that following mania. You know, I didn't think it was great. I just, I well, like when I think of best matches ever, I never think of a last man standing match, none of them. There was a pretty great Champa Gargano. Last I was gonna mention that one, and it was really good, and it was my least favorite of the three. All right, fair enough. At least you're consistent on it. Right, that's what that, that's what I'm saying. You know, I thought I thought that the in that in that situation, it made a lot of sense for them to do the last man standing match. And I I couldn't find a whole lot about the backstory on Mastiff versus Coffee, but it never felt like that was necessary. I don't know. That's that's just me. It was really, I think, just an excuse to have these two big boys do a bunch of big boy stuff and kind of do some cool weapons stuff. Because one of the things I did like about this card and it's something that I look for in in pay-per-views and shows that we watch is how much variety is there. And this was very different. It was, it was just, you know, Hey, you want a bunch of guys doing stuff with weapons and going through tables and having a whole, you know, you know, let's get some highlights on here and some You're taking cool one of spots my marks that we yell at. <laughs> so it's fun. I am about to come power bomb you through a table. You're about to, you're going to get the Angelo treatment. <laughs> but like it's most shows have a match like that right for the people that that's the kind of stuff that you know they love to watch right a lot of times you're going to have one of these matches with the last man standing or a street fight or whatever that you're going to have hey we want people hitting each other with chairs we want people going through tables all right go for it and this is that match and hey they do some cool they, they do some cool stunts it kind of achieves what it goes out for because it's never going to be like a big classic match or anything right, right. it's just Hey, let's let's kind of do do some cool stuff for the fans, and they do. It's it, it's it's hard for, it's hard for them to follow what they just have right to follow, absolutely. You know? And and in those situations, I I always much prefer a false count anywhere or a street fight type match. But again, that's because I like pins. That, that's it's just my thing. Um, as, as far as I don't necessarily. So I just want to talk touch on it before we move on completely. Um, regarding the last man standing match, I do like them a little bit. However, I will agree with you. The recent ones that you think about, with maybe the exception of Ciampa Gargano, they kind of fall flat. And I think, at least for me, and especially in this match, it's that the spot to induce uh, one of the counts isn't always necessarily spectacular or off the chain. Right, um, right. I, For me, if you want me to get really invested in these last man standing matches, you have to hit some big offense and then get like a nine count. And then that's where you get the suspense. It's like, how the hell did he stand up after that? Um, I will say, uh, with this finish though, I did enjoy how it ended. I mean, great heel tactics prevail at the end, just kicking the crate out from underneath, uh, Mastiff while he's trying to get up. The table not breaking broke my mind though. Like the, how does that not break? That's 600 pounds of guy just landing on top of you. And arguably the biggest spot of the night comes from taking a unsolicited, no stop, cricket bat across the back where you see the welts come up almost immediately. I saw that and cringed every time he got hit. 
I, I thought just, the I, back I, was so cool. I just remembered a pretty good last man standing match. Everyone. Royal Rumble 2007, John Cena and Umaga. You guys ever see that one? Yes, I have. I it's, have it's a, at some point. That's a good one. Um, Umaga is really cool, so that helps. Yeah, um, rest in peace, dude. The yeah, for real. R.I.P. Jamal. Um, I something that I re- I put down here. So uh, David and I were talking yesterday, and we were talking about some some other guys, and we talked about Samoa Joe, and I just thought of. You know, in this same kind of match, so when Samoa Joe hits a drop kick out in the like in the the bleachers onto the concrete steps, and if you have never seen that, I encourage you to go to YouTube and find that spot because Samoa Joe legitimately breaks his back, and it is painful to watch. It's one of the worst, most dangerous, and stupidest bumps in the history of wrestling. He he goes to hit the drop kick and like doesn't even really is a sting, right? Yeah, it was against Sting. Bound for Glory 2008. And, like, doesn't even really hit him and just falls flat back onto stair. Like, not the the solid steel steps, but the concrete stairs to your seats. And it it made me think of that. Um, The Dave Mastiff cannonball is a thing of beauty. Oh. Because Dave Mastiff is shaped exactly like a cannonball. Um, The chair duel was super cool. I thought the ending kind of sucked. You know, you you, you want to see the ending come like, uh, I think it was Cena and, oh, shoot, I can't remember. He he attitude adjusted somebody into like one of the big uh, wooden cases and then like threw a case down on top of them. Like yeah. that's, that's a cool finish. Um, but like, you know, he just kind of pushed the card out from underneath them and the match ended. But yeah. Wasn't a big fan of this one. I thought it was fun. I, I think the the one standout moment for me that made me just laugh, I mentioned it while I was going through the match, was a couple minutes in when they start getting out of the ring and they start like kind of fighting and using weapons. Coffee just goes under the ring and just pulls out like a, just a giant, like it's some Looney Tunes stuff. Like he just pulls out this giant sack filled with weapons that has the Gallus logo on the side. <laughs> and I saw that and I just laughed my ass off at that. I thought that was so funny. And... Just one other little shout out for me. You guys know I'm a huge Vader guy. I love Vader. Mm. And I love, I've always loved Mastiff's, uh, like kind of singlet trunks. Oh, yeah. Complete homage to Vader. It's the exact same color scheme. He's got his name written the same way. It's totally a Vader tribute. Always, always love it because I myself am a big Vader fan and I love seeing a fellow man of culture being featured on the big stage. So big shout out to Dave Mastin for that. Two matches left. Singles match for the NXT UK Women's Championship. Tony Storm defending against Kaylee Ray. This one was the shortest match of the night, even though it was the co-main. Um, Tony does, you know, comes after really hard from the opening bell does a suicide dive basically as like the first move. Um, Kaylee Ray kind of turns around midway through the match. Uh, there was one really cool move where she had her up for the, the gory special bomb where she kind of has her up on her back. That's her finisher. And then Tony flipped it into like a sunset flip power bomb. I thought that was one of the coolest moves really that I think we saw all night. Uh, 
Tony hit her finisher, the Storm Zero, which is the Misawa Tiger Driver sit out, uh, double underhook power bomb, which also same move that uh, her, I believe, ex boyfriend, Tyler Bate, uses as his finisher, the Tyler Driver. She hits that at one point, but Kaylee Ray kicks out. Tony then kicks out of Kaylee Ray's finisher, the Gory Bomb. Um, Kaylee Ray then hits a flip dive to the outside that the way she landed, it looked like she was almost like going straight up and down. Like it could have ended really badly. I was like really afraid she was going to land directly on her head. Um, even though I watched this a year ago and I know that she didn't get injured and I know everything ended up fine, but I still cringed when I saw it. But then they get back into the ring and Kaylee Ray hits the gory bomb back in the ring and pins her in about 10 minutes. And Kaylee Ray is the new NXT UK women's champ. So this was this was a match that Ange and I were uh, we were talking about before David hopped on the on the call earlier. I I thought it was a good match um, for for what it was dealing with. I think the fans were still hung over from the triple threat match. Do you guys think so? Absolutely. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And because like it was a good match, and I think and Ange and I talked about it. I think this could have been a good opening match. I think the fans would have really bought into it. Because you know they didn't really buy into the opening match anyway, um, and I think it could have benefited. I'm gonna have a take here. I think it could have benefited from five minutes of the Walter Tyler Bate match, because although that match was great, taking five minutes off of a 45 minute match isn't taking that much from. It. So sure, I think I don't I, disagree. I don't disagree with you. Um, the the other thing I have to say, the the plancha that Ray hit from the top rope look like it hurt because storm did not catch her very well and in that same note david when are you when do you plan on hitting your first uh, top rope plancha to the outside <laughs> buddy i'm 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 not an aerial guy you know i might i might i might save that for a for a big match we'll see <laughs> oh my gosh we'll see, we'll I, I, hope, I hope your first uh championship opportunity as a wrestler you just hit a, a top rope spanish fly onto the apron I'm 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 saving the Canadian Destroyer for it. I can I can do a Canadian Destroyer. It's really actually not as hard to do as it might look. Right. And I'm saving it. I'm, oh I'm going to do like the Adam Cole Panama Sunrise, where I jump off the middle rope and then do the Canadian Destroyer. It's going to be awesome. David, what was it what you said before? Safe and sound, feet on the ground. Exactly. I, uh, my thing with this match is, I mean, yeah, it definitely suffered from the placement. Um. It probably, I think putting in the opener does help a lot of that issues and maybe giving them that extra five minutes to make the match feel. Cause for me, it felt rushed. I think it, the, based on the story and the backstory that these two have versus the match that ultimately delivers, uh, a final chapter, so to speak, it just, it feels rushed. It feels robbed. I feel like there should have been a lot more storytelling throughout this match. I feel like that something was missing from it. It just, for me personally, there wasn't a lot to get invested in it. again you have those two matches before which are barn burn uh the triple threat tag team match which is a barn burner uh you have a last man standing match right before this which is not great but it's full of spots and then you are obviously saving up for walter tyler Bate coming up after this so a 10 minute match here really isn't going to get i think enough time to let the story breathe because they have a tremendous story talking about how kaylee ray was essentially a big sister to tony storm while they were traveling together and Kaylee Ray kind of 
telling to, uh, Storm that, that she's the reason why her dad left when she was little. Like, there's a lot of heavily emotional things going on in this match, and you see a little bit of it because you see Tony Storm kind of being very emotional throughout, uh, dealing with these conflicting emotions. But it just it doesn't feel like it gets enough time to breathe. It doesn't feel like they have enough time to tell their story, and that's kind of especially, my biggest gripe with it. Especially with Kaylee Ray winning, I, I oh really absolutely. If Tony Storm had retained, it's kind of like oh, like that's just another notch in the story belt. But Kaylee Ray wins and takes the title off of uh, a, a British women's wrestling icon in Tony Storm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I mean. I do think it maybe benefits a little more if you sort of flip it with the Banks match because that was this is kind of a death spot on the card. Everyone's just excited for the Walter match. You know, they're coming off of that amazing barn burner match, the triple threat that everyone was screaming straight for 20 minutes. And then you have the last man standing match where, again, Angela, as you said, I mean, I'll kind of echo you on this. It's not a great match, but there are a bunch of spots in it that the crowd, like, they had to do a lot of stuff and a lot of big moves and table spots and stuff like that to get a reaction out of the crowd. Yeah. The crowd hadn't really gotten a huge chance to sort of really settle down and chill for a second. And that's what this match kind of ended up being, which kind of sucks for the two of them because that's not really their fault. It's just sort of the way the matches were positioned on the card. I think... If you're going to have that death spot, then you might as well switch it around. Because right. Dar and Banks, at the beginning of the night, you, you expect the crowd to be kind of hot for the opener. They didn't really get much heat anyway. But I, I was I was kind of curious to see what your guys' impressions were of, of Tony Storm because she was considered at the top to be the person who, out of the NXT UK women was going to be kind of the breakout star. And it ended up becoming Rhea Ripley, who was the breakout star. Tony Storm, when she lost this match, everyone sort of assumed that this was going to be the springboard for her to then either move to the main roster or get a big push in just regular NXT. But then that didn't happen. That sort of shine ended up going to Rhea Ripley, who was like the other one of the the top ladies in NXT UK. And now we're almost a year later and she just kind of hasn't done anything. And I think it's been, it's kind of been weird and sort of confusing the way that her career has played out since then. Yeah. And I, I also thought that Tony Storm was going to be that, that person. Wasn't she in the Mae Young classic, Tony Storm? Yes, she and was. didn't she do super well? Did she? Yeah, I think she... Did she win it? She might have won it. Well, the one. Or the she, one yeah, she won it. She won it in 2018. Yeah. Um. Well, who? And then um. It was. It, shoot. Who was the other winner? Um. Uh. I'm looking it up right now. I want 2017. Say- 2017. She was in it. She made it to the semifinals, and she lost to Kyrie Sane, who was the champion, yeah. who is now, of course, you know, champion on the main roster and everything. And then the next year, she beat Io Shirai in the finals. Io, Io that's uh, that's what yeah. I was thinking. And Io Shirai, another person who gets a huge push and is like, right. you know, is a very featured person. But it hasn't really happened for Tony. Would it be wrong I, to assume that because of how this match played out and the reaction that it got, and how it is weird that Kaylee Ray kind of takes the title off her 
now with this story? Because this is a story that probably should go on for months with all the backstory that those two have and what they can tell with each other. And I'm not sure how much NXT UK continued on after this, but I do know that Kaylee Ray is still the champion. So I can't help but think that that's somewhere in the back of my mind. I have no idea. It's just, it's kind of weird because she is still pretty young. She's like 24, I think. She's a really good worker. She has a great look. She looks like this kind of just badass rocker chick. She Mm -hmm. looks like a star. I mean, kind of all the way around. But ever since around this, it's kind of like there hasn't been really much going on with her. Is it possible that she doesn't want to leave um, London, UK? I have no idea. I'm not going to speculate. I mean, but it's just been kind of weird how that's ended up going on. So I was kind of, kind of curious to mm-hmm. see what your impressions of her were because that at the time, again, this was considered like, okay, well, she's been champ for a while. She'll go somewhere else. She'll go to the main roster. Or she'll go to NXT and she'll do all that stuff. And then none of that really happened. I remember her and Ripley having an absolute banger of a match too. Yes. Yes. So we then go on. To the main event, match that three of us were really excited to watch and relive. NXT UK title is on the line. The champion, the ring general, Walter, taking on our beautiful big strong boy, Tyler Bate. This match is a great, great classic match. And the whole story of this match is yes. Tyler Bate, he is a big, strong boy. But is he big and strong enough to take on Walter? The crowd is going insane for Tyler Bate. Every single move he, every single move he makes this entire match, he just has the crowd eating out of his goddamn hand. And I'm so jealous of him. Because <laughs> imagine being that over in your life. How many Any Tyler, Bates cha- Tyler Bates chants did you hear throughout this entire there match? Were, they, were chanting, Tyler, Tyler Bates. they were chanting his name for 42 minutes. <laughs> I mean, I just cannot imagine having that many people just all love you and chant, chant your name at the same time. <laughs> like that, that vociferously, it's amazing. This is such an incredibly well-told story. Um, because as wrestling fans... We are just just watching wrestling today. We become kind of desensitized to moves. You know, we were just three matches removed from the Mark Andrews three-way match where it was a bunch of guys doing really cool flips. And the crowd went crazy for it. And that kind of now, a lot of times, if you're going to get the crowd today really invested in a match, it's because you're doing cool moves. Because most of the moves that people have done in wrestling throughout time, they become, I mean, for instance, if, you know, when Jake Roberts was hitting the DDT in the 1980s, it was awesome. But nowadays, if you hit a DDT, well, we've seen 30,000 DDTs in 700 different ways. So you don't react to the DDT anymore. You become desensitized a little bit. The antidote to that is telling a really great story where every single move means something. And that is what this match is. Like five, 10 minutes into the match, Tyler Bate hits just a regular body slam on Walter. <laughs> like, second day of wrestling school, you learn how to do a body slam. It's like the most simple wrestling move that there is. The crowd absolutely loses it for this body slam. Like, it's Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3. Like, 15 minutes later, he hits just a regular vertical suplex 
on Walter. Again, like the body slam is day two of wrestling school. The vertical suplex is day three of wrestling school. <laughs> the crowd reacts to this like they have seen the second coming of Jesus Christ. <laughs> because the whole story is this incredibly beloved baby face that is awesome that they're all cheering for. Is he big and strong enough to take down this evil, just gigantic Cyclops mutant freak Walter? And Walter's beating on him and beating on him and beating on him. And Tyler's trying to pick him up and do his moves and he can't do it. But finally, when he hits something, even if it's a simple move, the crowd goes crazy. And it just kicks off from there. You get some great moves. Walter, who is just maybe the best power wrestler that there is, catches him on a suicide dive and then he power bombs him onto the apron and he power bombs him into the ring post. Their crowd, I mean, he, Walter basically just beats on Tyler Bate for like 15 full minutes. But the crowd isn't bored on, isn't bored by this at all because they are so genuinely behind Tyler and so pushing for him to get one over on Walter and, and push and win this match. Um, finally, uh, Bate hits an exploder suplex off the apron, hits a running shooting star press. Hits the he reverses Walter's big power bomb into a sunset flip power bomb. The crowd goes crazy for it. I, they go crazy for every single thing that Bate does. Um, finally, he gets him in the airplane spin, and the crowd is going absolutely insane. Then he hits a burning hammer. Uh, the crowd he can't cover it. Does a couple big dives, big German suplex. He finally hits the Tyler driver on Walter, but Walter kicks out. Um, hits the spiral tap on Walter, but then he kicks out again. Walter comes back and then just starts murdering him with chops, murdering him with kicks, murdering him with a sleeper hold. Hits a big belly-to-back suplex. Um, finally hits his huge power bomb. My favorite thing in wrestling, when a guy hits a big move at the end of the match and then the guy kicks out at one and then oh, fires up. Yeah. I always lose it for it. <laughs> Happens here. But then Walter just hits a huge running Stan Hansen lariat turns Tyler Bate inside out and Walter <laughs> pins him 42 minute match. And it was a classic. I this mean, match made me fall in love with wrestling all over again. And there's, there's two things that I want to bring up that aren't even like they're related to the match, but they're not, you know, within the match itself. Um, what do you guys think about Imperium as a stable? I think, I great. think they're cool. I think they're cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think a lot of what it is, I, what, what kind of makes them cool. They're all good workers. I mean, Fabian Eichner is mm-hmm. a really good worker. Bartel's a really good worker. But what kind of makes them cool is that they do the Walter entrance. Yes, and the Walter entrance <laughs> is one of the coolest entrances. I didn't even really mention this. I mean, like you beat me, so, you beat me to my point. I was yeah. gonna mention this. Damn it, Walter is so cool that he. Just kind of, he lent them his entrance, and then they became cool just by pretending <laughs> to be him. What's that song called that he comes into? It's uh, what? What is it called? It's like a classical music. I meant to look it up, but um, I but I forgot to. Well, while you're doing that, I'm gonna ask. Andy. It's the uh, it's what is it? Symphony, uh, New World Symphony by uh, Dvorak. Oh. I don't know how to pronounce this guy's last name. I mean, that is just the perfect entrance for him. It fits him magnificently. And David and I, we've talked about it before, how we put uh, 
Edge's entrance at number one because on a big stage, it just feels like it would be perfect. This is the exact same way. Go back and watch Walter's debut from uh, TakeOver Blackpool and just feel the energy whenever that... When you hear, when you hear, Donna, Donna, <laughs> and the crowd just goes out. Ah, it's so ah, cool, ah. dude. The crowd, the crowd here was singing along with it, and he's the heel in this match. It's oh like God, it's th- like when Chris Jericho comes out, and the entire uh, yacht was singing along to Fozzy. It's just <laughs> he's the heel. He's despicable. He has never once done anything to appease the fans. Yet here they well, are screaming his entrance music. Walter uh, is really and- Walter is the Terminator. That's really what his character is. He's an Austrian Terminator. I was like, going to say, he's we, I, I am glad. I am glad that I get to watch him wrestle today because if he had lived 90 years ago, he would have single-handedly won the World War II for the Axis. Single-handedly. Oh, my God. He is, he is, oh, he, he is a specimen. And everything he does looks so violent. His, his, uh, like his splash looks so ugly and it looks like it could legitimately crush <laughs> Tyler Bates. Um he looks like a fifties Bond villain mixed with a Sith Lord. Like that's how it <laughs> just feels like his presentation is. I can't he's think of anything a, else to describe it. He's just a big scary dude. And yeah. it's he's so perfect Jit. for for being where he is because he is able to work just this he's this unrelenting power terminator. And like, if he was on the main roster, he benefits somewhat from the fact that he generally works in Europe and he works NXT UK, where guys aren't generally as big. He's a big, big guy, but he's like, you know, six, five, maybe 300 pounds. And maybe if you put him next to somebody like a Drew McIntyre, who's also really big, he wouldn't look quite so big. But compared to everybody else that he's wrestling he looks like a monster and he wrestles like a monster and he's perfect. It's insane too, because I mean, he doesn't look super jacked. I mean, he doesn't look like he's got muscle on muscle. No. Uh, he looks like a bigger guy, but he doesn't look like, man, he doesn't look like there's anything special to him. But then you watch him in the ring and just how much power he has in his moves, how deceptively quick he is, and how agile. This guy hits a dropkick in this match, and it's just, it breaks your brain because he's like, he looks like this, but does this. That does, that does not compute. We are living in a simulation, and there's a glitch, and the glitch's name is Walter. That's um, just a move for him, too. Like, like the dropkick is just a move. Uh, it's just insane, and you start off this match by seeing like a test of strength. You see Tyler Bate go to the ground and then bridge with Walter on top of him. And Tyler Bate is being billed at 175 pounds, bridging Walter, who is 6'5", 300. That this, is the thing about Tyler Bate, too, though. Because, like, he is five foot seven, 175 pounds. He is your height and smaller than you are, Angela. But something about, like, the way he carries himself... It's you the do hair. not think that he's that small. It's the hair. It's it surprises you to see that he's that small. How tall is he? Five, five seven. seven. He's got perfect wow. hair though. Perfect hair. Oh, he's perfect. Facial he's hair, beautiful, beautiful top man. hair. And have you ever seen Mustache Mountain versus Undisputed Era? I have not. I do know that's a there match were, that exists. Oh, you got to watch it. There were two matches. Okay, so there's a match that was pre-filmed, I think, in the UK actually, for NXT TV that was phenomenal. And then they end up running it back at the following takeover. I don't remember which takeover it was, but both, um, like the one on NXT TV was, NXT TV was great, great match. 
And then the rematch just blew the doors off. It was so cool. But to make that one so cool, you got to watch the first one. So if you ever think about it, um, I will add those to your notes. I definitely will. I, I, the first note I actually had for this though was it's like it, I thought it was funny throughout the entire night. You see these promos for Gallus and Gallus saying that they run NXT UK. Meanwhile, there's Imper- Imperium with Walter running around. It's like you guys run. No, you guys don't. You guys are second fiddle. They'll worry about you later because you are an underling. You do not concern them at all. But it it shows like this entire card, especially these uh, the last man standing match, the tag matches, and then Walter Tyler Bate. They show you how important, how crucial stables can be. And not just tag teams, but stables. WWD does a horrible time making stables. And the only one that maybe had any success in the modern era is the New Day. And that is because the New Day are over as hell and are super creative. And all of them are good on the mic and good individually. And then, and the New Day would never allow WWE to split them up when they wanted to. Oh, absolutely. Listen, but they why don't... are you ignoring the core? <laughs> I, but I still think even if it flops, I think that you can salvage something out of it. Like Absolutely. if we ever get Daniel Bryan Bray Wyatt again, how how interesting would it be if Bray goes back and talks about the time in the Nexus as Husky Harris? Like how crazy could that end up being? How much of this weird, crazy, creative story could Bray Wyatt go? He's already revived a character that we thought was long dead with his uh, Bayou Boogeyman kind of look. But like you need these stables. I feel like the stables help. They They are an automatic plot point. You can make a story out of them. You can be really creative with them. And WWE does nothing with them. But NXT UK, you have Gallus, you have British Strong Style, which is usually just about Mustache Mountain, sometimes with Pete Dunne. You have Imperium. You have a lot of conflicting interests. And I think, and I think, uh, New Japan does this too. They have like these different factions that people. Yeah, everyone's in a faction. Yeah. But Hmm. again, you can kind of play out those stories and you don't see that. Even though this is Walter Tyler Bay in a singles match, and Imperium doesn't interfere at all during this entire 40-minute affair, which is just the weirdest thing, because this is if this is happening in the United States, you know damn well that they're interfering. Look at what happens with uh, the Undisputed Era. Every match. But hmm. it, this is just an absolute show, because you built in that story of Imperium took over NXT UK from British Strong Style, and this is Tyler Bay trying to win it back. And I love that there was no interference from Imperium in this match. Yes. It's just, you're going to put, we're going to put our best man and your best man, and we're going to let him fight it out. Um, this, this match had two of my favorite chants, one of which I already talked about with uh, the, the Tyler Bate. Whenever they sing like Olay and the big strong boy chant. I, I don't know why David and I talked about this. Like whenever this match happened, I just love big strong boy. Big strong boy. It just—I <laughs> don't know why I love it so much. But it, Jake, it, it Jake, you and you and you and I just text each other about people being big strong. Boys yeah, all absolutely. The time. And it's and it's always a boi for the yeah. boy <laughs> because sometimes guys are just big strong boys, and you got to acknowledge it. I, um, I, great. St- sorry, go ahead, Ange. No, nah, because I'm just, I'm I'm about to rally off just a whole bunch of different sequences that I just found ridiculous. So finish up what you your thought because I might go on for a while and oh i was i mean okay i I can actually sum it up sum it up to lead into you just a beautiful story of big versus little um david said the kick out after one and i'm gonna say it because i know angie's gonna say it so we're just gonna make it a a three-time thing such a cool move tamahiro is she one of my favorite wrestlers does it all not all the time but does it and 
the last thing I'll say before I give the floor to Ange, I love guys without true finishers like Walter. Okay. He can finish matches with so many different things. He's won with a with a splash. He's won with a power bomb. He won this match with the Lariat. Um, I know that he um, he wins his match at Blackpool 2 by submission, but I'm not sure how I forget what, what move he applied to win. Um, and that just it makes matches so dramatic because like maybe the power bomb wins. Maybe the splash wins it. It's just so cool. Um, I I was actually I was going to get to that because I actually thought of that when you and David were talking a little bit earlier. I'm just like, yeah, Walter doesn't have a defined finisher, and that's kind of what makes him – he gives him that air of just impossibility. You don't know what you're going to get with Walter other than the fact that it's going to be a slapper of a match. It's just going to be great, and I'm going to keep using slapper because I like using slapper. <laughs> I, well, I, I, I genuinely have never seen Walter have a bad match. Um, Ever. I don't know if he's capable of it. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it. I mean, he starts off this match. There's an early rally that goes from a power bomb into a Tyler driver into shows of agility, which ended with that bait power slam. Uh, on the outside apron, you see a Walter chop, which leads into the power bomb on the apron. Uh, and then you have that really scary moment where Walter tries to power bomb bait into the ring post, misses, and it looks like Bait's head hits the concrete underneath of the ring, where to the point where it looks like a doctor goes out to check on him to make sure you know no concussion, uh, no, got stay safe. You don't want uh, a guy working with a concussion, especially that was ten minutes into the match. Uh, Jake, awful lot of rest holds here in the middle, though. Yes, there are, but like the whole. The whole time they're telling the story of, oh man, Tyler Bate isn't strong enough to break that hold, and then he is. I agree, but I think that rest holds themselves. Yes, I think the way we saw them in I, the eighties. R- I, I don't watch. know if I would call them. I don't think I would call them rest holds, though, because the term rest hold is implying that they are using this hold to rest, calm down between spots. These holds that Walter is working on Tyler Bate during the middle part of this match are an important part of the story. No, yeah, they look Walter okay. beating Walter, overpowering Tyler Bate, and doing evil things to him because that's Angela, what he does. Angelo, I listened to our podcast from last week. I listened to it the past couple days, okay? And at one point, you referred to a three-minute match as a good little match, okay? So keep talking about your rest holds, bud. Sure. No, but I mean, <laughs> I wasn't saying this as a criticism. I was saying this as, <laughs> like, you have to have... Rest holds can still be eventful so long as you're like you know telling a story or even if you're just selling them as more offense than what they actually are like he's selling that tyler bait is he big enough and strong enough and a boy enough to break this hold from walter uh you have another ugly exploder suplex from the apron onto walter onto the floor uh the image of walter just literally walking over tyler bait to put him in the boston crab was you don't see that a lot. You don't see how pe- people mostly turn him over. Walter's just like, nah, I'm just going to walk right over him and put him into this Boston Crab. Uh, you see that he, too- put the, he put the knee on the neck, too. Oh, like, that the, too. like the Jericho uh, lion tamer. Yeah. It looks so gnarly, dude. Especially with how big he is and how t- small bait is compared to him. That yeah. super exploder so- suplex uh, from the top rope. The airplane's been into the Birmingham, like you mentioned. Something else I really enjoyed is the fact that they're both putting in offense while on the ground. Like, both guys are, are 
pretty much dead at this point. They're exhausted from this long, grueling match, yet they are still finding the energy to hit each other from the ground, whether it's just a thrown kick or a really weak punch, but they're just kind of selling the fact that they've been through war. Uh, bridging out into the Tyler Driver, awesome spot. The image of Walter slapping the sleeper onto Tyler Bay and just <laughs> seeing him engulf Tyler Bay in that sleeper is just a perfect encapsulation of this match. The kick out at one, obviously, just a huge pop because, again, you think at this point in the match, there's nothing that's ever going to be, that's not going to be either a two and seven days count or a three count, and he kicks out at one. And then that lariat, it, the lariat that Bates sells like hell, that Walter sells like hell, to make it super believable that it is okay that Bate loses this match via a lariat, and he doesn't look worse for it. And it's just, this match is a piece of art. As I was kind of saying when we, as I was leading into this match, over time, yeah, you know, as us as wrestling fans, we do become desensitized to certain moves because, you know, we see them over and over again. And just wrestling has progressed to a point where the in-ring style is so much faster and you see so many more spots and so many more moves and people are always kind of innovating new things. So it's crazy to see a match like this in 2019 where a guy hits a vertical suplex 25 minutes into the match and the crowd loses their mind for it. Because it was awesome, David. Because it is such... A well-told and well-executed story. You can tell the narrative they're going for, and they pull it off. And we've talked a lot about Walter and how awesome Walter is, how great he is. But for me, this whole match is the Tyler Bate show. This is Tyler Bate, because the whole narrative of the match is about Tyler Bate. Is he big enough? Is he strong enough to deal with? with this man who is the size of an NFL offensive tackle and just wants to kill everybody. And it's him overcoming that and, and proving that, yes, he can, he can go toe-to-toe with Walter. And this match doesn't work the way that it does if Bate isn't that over, if he doesn't have the crowd in the palm of his hand just screaming for him for 42 minutes straight. It doesn't work the same way. But the crowd loved him so much and was so behind him that, yeah, Walter can put him in a chin hole and like a chin lock for 12 minutes, and they're not bored for a second. They're still into it, and they still just want their guy, their big strong boy, to power out and do his thing. And it's just awesome, dude. It's so great. Now I know. And the Jake burning was- hammer. I was so hyped to see the burning <laughs> hammer because it's one of the coolest moves ever. And Jake and I, literally, like two hours before I watched this, were watching burning hammer videos on YouTube. <laughs> Kenta Kabashi is the goat, and it's one of the coolest moves ever. Now, I actually have that on my notes. Burning hammer dash. Shout out to Kenta Kobashi. <laughs> oh my god! Now the I know- super finisher. <clears throat> I remember when Brian Kendrick hit. <clears throat> The Burning Hammer on Kota Ibushi in their Cruiserweight Classic match in 2016. And people were angry because it didn't finish the match. People were pissed off because nobody kicks out of the Burning Hammer. (laughs) I was glad that Walter didn't kick out of the Burning Hammer. It was just that Bate Bate wasn't able to go and cover him. 
So the burning hammer is protected in this match. And that, <laughs> that makes it, that makes a nineties, all Japan mark like me. Very happy. <laughs> now I know triple H has his fingerprints all over NXT UK. I'm not sure how much he had an influence over this card, but the thing with Vince, we know is that he likes his guys big. If you're small, your push is unlikely unless you could get insanely over a la Daniel Bryan. And it's great to see Triple H putting such a small, like 5'7", 175. You don't see that a lot in wrestling until I get this era. You don't see a lot of guys that small in the ring getting well, you don't see push. you don't see a lot of guys that small wrestle the way tyler Bate does that too. you'll see guys who are small like you know if if someone is that size yeah mark andrews who's five foot eight 160 pounds he's a flippy guy they mm-hmm. do stuff like that tyler Bate is a big strong boy mm-hmm. uh, but i mean have you seen i mean the guy's quads <laughs> are like oh my gosh enormous it's insane They're a work of art but like it's great to see that that stereotype of you can't have a small guy at the top of the card just it it doesn't matter because both these guys you have five seven tyler bait you have like six four walter and they put on an absolute show if you're talented you deserve your spot at the card and bait absolutely shows us and he's shown this in it throughout his entire career he's a top yeah. guy walter top guy and soon to be WWE UK champion Ilya Dragunov, top guy. <laughs> I just there's always been just I've always felt that Tyler Bate has that it. Mm-hmm. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. He has that it factor. Like I remember the first time I saw him was when they did the first UK tournament in 2017, I think it was. And I remember when they announced the lineup. I wasn't really, I, I hadn't really watched much British wrestling, so I didn't know almost anybody. I had never heard of Tyler Bate before. I had seen Mark Andrews because he had wrestled in TNA and he had been around for a while. And I had like heard of Pete Dunn. Like I knew he had a reputation of being really good and that was it. But then I saw Tyler Bate and I had no idea who he was. And just instantly there was something about him hmm. that made me just want to root for this guy. And by the end of those two shows, I was a huge Tyler Bate fan. And I couldn't even really tell you specifically why. It was just there was something about the guy. Like he just had that it factor that is kind of hard to quantify. And you see it in this match. I mean, the crowd, again, is just in the palm of his hands the entire match and going crazy for him. And you can't teach that. You can't teach being over like that. It just kind of happens. Amazing. Love it. Great One of the best matches ever. One Absolutely. of my all-time favorites. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we have gone through this card backwards and forwards. And I, don't know, I think we just spent like a full half hour talking about Bate Walter, which I knew was going to happen because it's an incredible match. So as we start to wrap things up, let's head to our the name of the podcast, the Two and a Half Marks. Angelo, you want to start us off, buddy? Absolutely. Um, this is tough because there's a lot of amazing things on this card. And so as a result, I have a lot of dupl- double guys on my marks. I'm going to start off with my half marks. And this, again, it, this feels wrong to me to put them this low. But someone's got to be the half mark out of my three that I have assigned. And that's going to be the Southern Rail subculture, Flash Morgan Webster, and James Andrews. Or Mark Andrews. I was thinking about Dr. James Andrews. I don't know why. But 
<laughs> you getting Tommy John surgery, son? <laughs> I might be. <laughs> Needed in the brain. Uh, Flash Morgan Webster and Mark Andrews. Just these two guys, again, very small. They weigh less than Braun Strowman together. Uh, but they put on an absolute show with two large guys in Gallus. Two of the modern variety of wrestler in Zach Gibson and James Drake. Uh, and you believe every th- move that they put out there. It's not like, oh, they're small guys. Their offense isn't going to be that impactful. They have some great kicks. They have some great aerial moves. And you believe every time it's like, okay, yeah, they're small guys. But they absolutely could hang in a fight with the people in the ring right now. And that's kind of what makes them over. It's great to see that moment where they go into the crowd and just celebrate their championships. Uh, it's just, and seeing the promo, like, I watched that video about the tag, the, the tra- uh, trail to the tag team championship match at least five times today because it's a basic story. But one that's really emotional when you see the two guys in the match kind of going over. And you get to feel that throughout this entire Cardiff card. Uh, these two guys and how important it is to those two guys. The pride of Southern Wales. Uh, enough, of, uh, enough about them. Let's move on to the one mark, which is Cesaro and Ilya Dragunov. I couldn't leave them off this list. I love this match. Cesaro, again, a guy that we've mentioned time and time again as an amazing worker, amazing wrestler, a guy that very few people can have a bad match with. There's a reason why uh, Mansoor had the match with him in Saudi Arabia, and that's because Cesaro can make everyone look good. And that's exactly what he did with Mansoor. Uh, and then you have Ilya Dragunov, a guy who's going to get pushed to the freaking moon. He's got the look. He's got it. He does have a little bit of Seth Rollins' voice, but that's not enough to keep that guy down. Again, a guy who's only 5'10", but looks like every, he belongs there. He doesn't look he, like he's dwarfed at all. Uh, and then finally, my two marks, Valter and Tyler Bate. Mm. And we just said so much about them. I feel like I don't really have to say anything else. They put on an absolute show. Valter being that freak of nature, a guy who doesn't look like he's that strong, a guy who doesn't look like he's that fast, but absolutely is, versus Tyler Bate, who... Again, big strong boy, and he he puts that strong in all caps. So I'll follow that up. I'm going to give my half mark to Cesaro's uppercuts because they are just absolutely perfect, and I love seeing them. I think that they should be incorporated more into the finishes of his matches because I know that for a while he was winning. He he could win matches with the uh, pop up uppercut which is a phenomenal move, and that'll tie into my next mark. Um, but I, I just think Cesaro's uppercuts that the one where uh, Dragunov was on the ground, and he comes through and kind of uppercuts and like corkscrews through the air, thought it was brutal, could have been a finisher, should be a finisher. My one mark goes to originality in wrestling, because I thought, like I said to David earlier, he had kind of already touched on this, but this car was super unique. Uh, you saw a cricket bat in the uh, last man standing match, um, which I I know that in cricket you hit a ball um, and they catch it without the gloves. That's yeah, I think they like touch the wicket. I know that's a word, um, but anyway, uh, Tyler Tyler Bate versus Walter being a forty five big versus little match. You never get that uh, hardly ever, especially nowadays. You know, we're we're long past the days of Ric Flair wrestling 60 minute time limit draws in the nwa we're long past that um 
You're getting tag team, tag team moves that you haven't seen before, like that crazy doomsday device on the outside. Um, Cesaro going to the NXT UK for a match. I love whenever main roster guys go down and do that. Uh, we talked about Imperium and how cool they are. Uh, you, you don't always get really good stables like that. I just think this uh, card was super unique in a lot of ways. And my two marks, they can only go to one entity, and it's going to that crowd because, oh my gosh, I think they made every match better, the ones they cared about. The Walter-Tyler Bate match, I think they made that match. It was already a phenomenal match, don't get me wrong, but just took that match and absolutely ran with it. Um, there was a lot of really good chance, like I've already talked about, um, but they hit him with the uh, the mess him up, Tyler mess him up, and they did not say mess whenever they did that chant. Um, it was just, they popped for everything. There was uh, a lot, all the near falls. Walter hits him with the power bomb and he kicks out at one and the crowd just loses it. I thought the crowd for this card was phenomenal. So Cesaro's uppercuts, originality in wrestling, and the NXT, NXT UK takeover, Cardiff crowd gets my two marks. And so for me, I'm going to give my half mark. I've never given it to an announcer before. Ooh. I'm going to give it to Nigel McGuinness. Okay. Well Nigel McGuinness, who called this, was kind of the, the, he was the color guy on this card, along with Vic Joseph as the play-by-play guy. Nigel McGuinness, of course, in his day, a great wrestler himself. Check out his stuff in Ring of Honor. He was awesome in the 2000s. Very rarely, I feel like, especially in WWE, do the announcers really add anything. And they usually seem to take away from what's going on. But one thing that Nigel and Vic Joseph did really well was shutting up at the right <laughs> time. Because normally when, normally when cool stuff happens on like a main roster show, no matter what, you have Michael Cole won't shut up or you want to have or you have Corey Graves or somebody just won't shut the hell up and let the moment breathe. Nigel McGuinness and Vic Joseph with this crowd going crazy, especially in the main event, they picked all the right times to just shut up and let the moment breathe a little bit. And I thought that added so much. And you could tell throughout the main event, especially the last 10 to 15 minutes, that Nigel was losing his mind. His brain was melting and he was loving it. And just listening to Nigel himself, a great wrestler, just go crazy for this match made it so much better to me. I'm going to give my one mark to the just everything about Ilya Dragunov. Outside of just the wrestling, I mean, because we talked about the match, and it's a it's a really, really good match, and he was really good in it. But just the combination of the entrance music, the red contacts, him screaming his goddamn head off like an insane person, and just, like, you can tell he is freaking out. Like, he just snorted a rail of cocaine before he walked out of the, walked through that the curtain. And he is losing it. He's peaking. It's, it's perfect. Like, he just, watching him gets you amped up. I watched that match last night at, like, 1 in the morning, and I was amped up for that match because Ilya Dragunov was screaming his head off like an insane person. I loved it. And my two marks goes to 
the big man, little man match. One of the most time honored and traditional just stories of match, the big man, little man match. Bate and Walter do it maybe better than anyone has ever done it in this individual match. But it's a story that you can very easily uh, tell effectively. And especially when you have a guy like Tyler Bate as that little man who is so over. And there has never been anyone or there have been very few guys ever who are better at being the big man in a big man, little man match than Walter. And just on this night, it comes together perfectly and creates an instant classic. But this is a genre of match that a lot of times turns out to just be really good. So it's, you know, it's perfect. It, it just, it, but it all came together perfectly on this night and created a match that we all love and everyone loves. So we have gone through NXT UK takeover Cardiff. And now it is time for our last order of business, boys. Ooh. Gotta spin the wheel. So as I pull it up, and as I find out who what we're going to review next week, what are you guys hoping for? I think I, I, I think I want some trash. <laughs> oh, I'm so you want you want Money in the Bank 2011? You want some trash? What well, do you want, David? Oh, too I wanted it. some trash. I, I wanted some trash also. We did not get some trash. We got our first ever WrestleMania. Oh! Featuring a match that was once in a lifetime. WrestleMania 28. Cena Rock. (laughs) Let's go! Yep. We are going to have our first WrestleMania match card event experience next week. (laughs) Rock Cena... CM Punk, Chris Jericho, Undertaker, Triple H in the Hell in a Cell. cell. Oh, one of the best kickouts ever in that match. I remember it. Sheamus beating Daniel Bryan in 18 seconds. Mm. We all love to remember every moment of that night. A beautiful night in Sun Life Stadium in Miami, Florida. This might be our first ever two-parter, guys. We might have to talk about this. Yeah, this is going to be, it's a WrestleMania, and it's a 2010s WrestleMania. So this, I don't remember, but this some bitch might be like four hours long. It's, you might need to figure something out here. I mean, even that first match is only what eighteen seconds. We're going to talk a lot about D. Bry and Sheamus there. So, yeah. So it's an let eight, me let it's me, an eight, let me it's look an it up real quick. I'm going to see. I'm going to see exactly how long it is on the network. It's an eight match quick. card. So hmm. We might have to figure out some uh, some logistics here. The thing is, we split it in half. Like the first, so the first four matches. Would yeah, be... this thing is this thing is four hours long. So we might maybe need to do a two parter. Okay. We'll see. All right, we'll figure it out. Okay, we'll keep it maybe good. maybe 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 we'll do the first one. We can do up until the Hell in a Cell match because that's kind of like one of the main events, but it's like midway through the card, so we can kind of finish it with the Hell in a Cell Taker yeah. Taker and Trips. And then do the second half of the show, finishing with Rock Scene. Let's, I like let's that. that and see where we get. Okay, sounds good. Well, that settles that. We got our business in hand for next week. I guess we're gonna do WrestleMania 28 Part One, <laughs> featuring Undertaker and Triple H in the Hell in a Cell, an incredibly memorable event with Shawn Michaels. Incredibly, guest rep. Exactly. Remember that. So. Next week, WrestleMania 28, Part 1. Thanks again. It was great.
going through NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff. And so, as usual, for Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long, I'm David Statman. Thanks for listening. <laughs>